0: Hey, everybody. There is so much great information to cover in this episode of Unbeatable. We're just going to roll right into it as I introduce you to my guest, CQ.
1: These stories of triumph over adversity will help you
0: handle your toughest days in life. You're listening to Unbeatable with Jeff Struker. Hey, everybody. I am thrilled to introduce you to Michael Karasquillo. Michael, thank you for being on the show with us. Very happy to be I'm here. just going to call you CQ from here on out. Is that cool?
1: That is, that is the preferred. All right.
0: Um, yeah, man, I, I want to first off say thank you for serving the country. I, I got to get into a little bit of your childhood and what led you to go see a recruiter uh, and make that fateful decision to walk into a rec- rec- recruiter's office before we get into that story. So tell everybody a little bit about growing up.
1: Uh, I was born and raised in New York city, uh, Manhattan. I I, I've, I've lost a bit of the accent, you know, unless I say coffee and water. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I, like, honestly, it was typical for the city, but I I guess, you know, and typical for me, but not for most. So I was born to a, uh, single teenage, you know, mother, Uh dad wasn't in the picture, um, you know, bouncing all over the city from place to place, usually, you know, in a new place every like six months, new schools every six months, um, just kind of, you know, trying to survive and, uh, you know, made my way, you know, through high school. And uh, yeah, I was, I was a, I was a senior in high school when 9-11 happened. And so that kind of uh, set the path forward for me.
0: You grew up in New York City?
1: I, I did. Okay. I did.
0: You got to do this for us. Just for everybody who's listening around the country, at least give us a, Hey, I'm walking here. Will you? Hey, I'm walking here. There you go. That's what I'm talking about.
1: Um, you know, it is what it is. Yeah.
0: Because you grew up in New York city. I don't think a lot of people will understand the impact that the attacks on September 11, 2001 had on you because for a lot of people, I mean everybody around the world witnessed the attacks on the nightly news but for the New Yorkers for folks that were in DC at the time there was it was a it was a different it left a different impact on them so as much as possible describe what life was like when that happened in your neighborhood
1: sure i mean you know like you said everyone the, the nation felt attacked right but for those of us that were there or that Lived in the city at the time. It was, it's, it felt very personal. It felt this was, this it, was an attack to on me. You
0: personally.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's my city. I mean, you know, as much as like people in New York, we know, we hate the place. It's, it's horrible. It smells <laughs> and it's crowded. And it, but like, but it's a sense of pr- like that. Hey, I'm from New York. You know, I'm, yeah. What are you going to do? Uh, <laughs> so I love it. You got to
0: keep bringing the accent in the whole show, man. I love it.
1: <laughs> I slip in and out of it, man. Yeah. years years of traveling. I, I've lost most of it. Um, but no, it definitely it felt personal. It felt um I there's really no other way to describe it. You know, I've talked to a lot of guys who've served, especially my generation of warfighter, who are post nine eleven guys who are who signed up after because of what happened. And you know, the general consensus is like, hey, my my nation needed me. you know, we were under attack. we I you know, I wanted to get some, whatever it is. But for those of us that were there, and those of us, that, you know, not necessarily Ground Zero, but but in the city at the time, it just it, it was it was terrifying. Yeah. You, you didn't know, and especially when the towers fell, like you just felt so helpless, helpless. Uh, okay. so afraid. You know, you you didn't know where the next. You know, we're not we're not watching the news; we're living it, and and you don't know where the next uh, you know planes coming right. from. You don't know the next buildings. You don't know if it's bomb like. It was just, it was chaos. It was chaos. Um, I was in, I'll never forget it. I was in, it was like my first period class. Uh, uh, it was in the the computer room and we were doing our assignments. And of course I wasn't, I was surfing the internet as one does. Uh, and instead
0: of doing schoolwork,
1: right. right. Instead of doing the schoolwork, the assignment as usual. And I, I remember, I think I was like on Yahoo news or something like that at the time. And and it came, you know, breaking. You know, plane hits Twin Tower, and I was like, "Oh shit, that's crazy." We we thought it was a, you know, we thought it was a, yeah. an accident, freak accident. And you know, I remember telling my teacher, like, "Hey, you know, let's put on the TV that uh, one of the towers got hit." And uh, we put it on, and I'll never forget. Like, we were watching live as the second tower hit, yeah. got hit, and 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 like, like that immediately realized, "Whoa, dude, something's happening. This uh-huh. is something." And you know, like we ran up to the roof of our school because we were a couple, couple miles because it's southeast side of the city, uh-huh. where the attacks were on the kind of the southwest side. Um, and so I remember running up to the the roof with a bunch of other kids, and you can't see the towers because of the buildings in the way from our. It was a very small building, like uh-huh. three story building, so you couldn't see the towers, but we could clearly see the smoke rising above right. the buildings, and it just it felt so close. Like it felt so, so very close. And, um, you know, they immediately released us. And I was, I remember I I jumped the subway home and, and like as I was getting home was when the first tower. When the buildings were falling? Yeah, the first tower. I was already up like uh, uh, Upper East Side, like uh, Spanish Harlem. And um, yeah, it was just, it was panic. It was fear and panic. And, and, and I mean, Confusion. You just you didn't know. You didn't know, and it was it was. Um, yeah, like I'm, I'm getting like skin crawly, like yeah. just thinking about it, because it was just it's a terrifying feeling, and you just don't nothing makes sense. You know, I'm I'm only I was only I think 17 at the time, Um and it just nothing made sense uh, for a long time after that.
0: I'm glad that you're using words like it was scary and the unknown, because for the. Let's, let's be honest, for the, the folks that grew up post 9-11, they weren't around or they weren't conscious of what was happening during 9-11. I, I think it's hard to describe for them just how vulnerable everybody felt. I'm not sure if it was just America. I think the world felt vulnerable for a second because the world realized, uh oh, no one has a mechanism to stop this from happening in my backyard. If it it could be my backyard tomorrow and there's nothing anybody can do to stop it. And it scared the world, but it also, uh, you know, it worked itself into the fabric of America, that fear and the uncertainty of not, well, might we be attacked tomorrow, but are we even going to be able to respond and survive this? Yeah. It was kind of a, it, 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 changed the tone of the nation for an entire generation and people that weren't around it's hard to describe for them what that was like because you're using language that maybe they've just never experienced
1: yeah i mean and, you know we we throw around like post 9-11 it it to me is very clear, like life before that day is different day very
0: different yeah. day
1: and night. I mean, you know, you want to say like, oh, well, you know, airport security is different now. And all these. <laughs> but it, it's like, so just the, the fabric of who we are yeah. and how we experience it. things like, like terrorism never crossed my mind. Nobody
0: even used the word before that.
1: Yeah. Like it just, it just and I'm not to say that these things don't exist and that these things weren't happening. And we, you know, we had the, you know, Oklahoma city bombing and, you know, uh, all, all these different things that had happened and attacks so- and like, but this, like fundamentally changed everything. And, and, you know, I've been very fortunate to travel to other countries and like it, like the idea that it not only impacted us and who we are in America, but that the, it rippled across it tru- the it world, touched
0: every corner of the world,
1: talking to people in Italy, in France, in Germany, and, and like, it, it, like nine 11, a thing, the same way you would refer to like world war two, like yeah. it was this massive event. And, um, Yeah. I mean, I hope we never see anything like that again, but, uh, yeah, it's scary.
0: It (laughs) was our generation's Pearl Harbor is really what it was. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So some guys get scared after nine 11 and they run away. Um, you, because of the attacks on nine 11 go to a recruiter and you're not the only one you've already mentioned, uh, there are some pretty amazing guys and gals that went to see military recruiters and said, I'm, I'm here I am, sign me up. I don't even know uh, what I'm getting into, but I do know I'm not going to sit back and let this happen and not try to make my stand. So why the army first? And then my follow-up question is why infantry second? but let's talk army. Why did you skip the Marine Corps? Because let's be honest, they have the best looking uniform on the planet. Why did you go to the army instead of the Marine Corps?
1: The sword, like that sword, man, right? The sword with the uniform, that really sells it. So, okay. So I'm going to be a hundred percent honest here. And Uh so brace yourself, everybody. Here we go. Like the military had never crossed my mind. Like as a kid from New York city, here's how bad public school education is in New York city. (sighs) I assumed every city in the country was like New York city, maybe smaller or bigger, but like, like, if you showed me a picture of, I don't know, the, the Virginia, the forest in Virginia, I would have been like, Oh, that's one of those like 1860 pictures of like old colonial times. That doesn't really exist anymore. Right. And, and, and like, I couldn't fathom and I wasn't, very well educated honestly that like there, there, there's rural towns and like farm towns like that just didn't that concept didn't you know really resonate with me and so uh the military as something that, again just didn't that didn't exist to me that wasn't in my field of view um
0: I on was in september 10th 2011 you weren't thinking exactly. military
1: never i didn't even know we still had military like <laughs> it's such a weird thing to think of like yeah you know we learned about world war ii and all these things and like but like, and then it just kind of peters off, and you're just like, you know, you terrible. Edgy. We didn't learn about things like Vietnam and all these things. Like they didn't teach us that stuff. Um, it was just how to how to work at McDonald's, basically. <laughs> They're just trying to get you through the door. Um, so none of that had, you know. And I I had an uncle. I had an uncle who had served uh, in Vietnam, and and but I didn't get to know him when I was young. I was like three. Um, the alcohol and the and the pills and the drugs yeah. got to him, and he, and he and he died. He passed from it. Um, so, so again, military never, and we didn't talk about it. Uh Nobody talked about it. So, so that never, the military never kind of came up for me. So when 9-11 happens and I was already a senior in high school, I had gotten some, um, some opportunities to maybe go to college and play football or do a couple different things and was trying to decide what I'm going to do with my future. Wait a
0: second. You were playing
1: football in school. I, I was playing football and I was, and I was wrestling and I was also surprisingly in, uh, music and musicals i did uh oh uh, this is a crazy
0: combination i'm trying to figure out how come you have a super bowl trophy behind you and it's obviously from your high school championship that they gave out (laughs) the lombardi trophy to you is that what it is
1: yeah unfortunately no unfortunately no that's not the real
0: thing behind you
1: no no that Uh is not that's a fantasy football i I won my my fantasy league (laughs) um no my school was not good my school was not good we didn't we didn't yeah we didn't place very well but but there were some opportunities to like you know work because my there way
0: were up. colleges that were recruiting football playing wrestling um, yeah. musician uh, you know musical <laughs> you know, theater guys yeah theater guys
1: yeah, yes you know. um, I, I I'm not gonna I don't want to speculate because you never know what would have happened but <laughs> it, it is what it is um, but when after nine eleven happened and and I was already in this midst of like I don't know what I'm gonna do next and I didn't know what you know th- there weren't a lot of opportunities for a you know Spanish kid in Spanish Harlem uh uh you know barely passing high school and and so you know it, I I didn't know what I was gonna do but after 9 11 the recruitment drive started right you yeah. started seeing the oh, commercials yeah. you started seeing the everybody's waving the flag and you start seeing the the ads and the billboards and um and it and it came into my my sphere of knowledge and I realized oh wow that you know that is an opportunity. And, and, you know, you hear about all the stuff and all the benefits and this and this and that. Um, but for me, it really, I don't know, it was, it was a calling. It's a weird thing to describe because, you know, sometimes people throw that that term around, but I just, every, the more I would see it, the more it just kind of called to me. And it's like, this is an opportunity to get out of New York city. I'd I never traveled. I, I, really? You've I, never okay. been out of New York city. Ever been like? There was one time we went to Disney when I think when I was like six or seven, and outside of you know a memory of like the Magic Castle, Uh there was I I had nothing. I had nothing to compare to. uh, the 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 woods to me was Central Park, like that was the woods. You know the most trees I'd seen in one place. There were squirrels
0: and a few other animals, and that's it.
1: Basically, basically, I'd never seen a deer or you know any like. We had a the Bronx Zoo, so you'd see, like, a bear in, like, this depressed, <laughs> like, tiny enclosure. Um, but, yeah, so so that became an avenue for me. And when I thought about what I wanted to do, the first thing, and this is what I said, I'm going to be honest. The first attempt at joining the U.S. military, I walked into an Air Force uh, a recruitment Oh, thing. come on because because and again not knowing anything not knowing that like, oh you know air force has like the best food or the easiest whatever i had this idea that i wanted to fly fighter jets like that i wanted to drop bombs i wanted to fly like that was in my head that's what i wanted to do and uh needless to say i was laughed yeah, outside every out just Bad.
0: Every Air Force recruiter is rolling his eyes right now. Like 10,000 kids a day walk in and say, I want to go fly an F-16. Yep. Um, and
1: yeah, it was I mean, they laughed me out of the office. They, they literally I think at the time I was where I wore glasses. Um, you know, I, I, I
0: and your GPA was certainly speaking for itself when you it went was, to the yeah. recruiter's office. There,
1: there was a litany of uh-huh. reasons why not to accept me. And uh whatever it was, whether it was the, the competitive nature of just how I am. And when you tell me I can't do something, it just makes me want it more. I, I was just like, all right, well, you know, fuck you guys. And I, it's one of those offices that had like all the doors oh, for yeah. all the different uh-huh. branches. And I literally, I remember I walked out the door and like just off to my left, there was an open door. And I stuck my head in and I was like, hey, you guys got a problem that I wear glasses and I got a real shitty GPA, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, nope, come sit down. And it was the army. And literally, I came in, I sat down, I started talking to the guy. And, um, you know, he's like, oh, well, you know, you got to do the ASVAB and all this and all that. And so we scheduled it. And lo and behold, with my terrible GPA, uh, whatever reason, I I don't even, I just didn't do homework and things like that. I, I didn't see the point of it. I think that's what affected me. But when I took the ASVAB, I actually scored. As a like, smart guy. You're a smart guy. This ridiculously well, I think like at the time they said like, well, oh, there's 240 jobs in the army. And I think I qualified for like 230 of them, <laughs> like based on my ASVAB score. And so the guy was just like, well, he had like all these, braids, like, well, here you go. And like there's a whole table, the whole, whole deck
0: of cards. Right.
1: And I just remember like looking and I'm like looking and, and all the pictures and things and like, yeah, that sounds stupid. And I, I, I just came to one that had like pictures of explosions and things. <sighs> I'm like, Oh, what's this? And I, I started, it's like, Oh, infantry. Like, Oh, this is fascinating. And, and all right. I I don't think I've ever admitted this. You're, I don't think I've ever admitted this publicly. Go
0: for it, man. Come on.
1: At the time, again, not knowing what I don't know. I thought infantry was the guys that rode horses. I thought I was, I mixed <laughs> them up with cavalry. Which, I mean, cavalry doesn't even still ride horses.
0: But, but but we did ride some horses in Afghanistan. So, I mean, I mean it's not yeah. going back that far in time. Not
1: Exactly. Not not that ridiculous. But I was just like, huh. And in my head, I'm picturing, like, the guys riding horses. And I'm like, that's a weird thing. And I was like, that's weird. But I, I put that aside. And I was like, but, you know, in reading, it's like, oh, you know, weapons experts and, you know. Blow stuff up and, and kick
0: in doors. Yeah, yeah, you know, the, the, sure. the tip
1: of the spear, right? All the stuff we hear. and Yeah. Like, front line. That and all man.
0: got you going, didn't it?
1: And I was like, yeah, man. I was like, I, I, like to me, I was thinking like, you know, like football, you know, you're the lineman, you're, the, you're yeah. the guy, the protector, the, you know, the pusher, all these different things. And so I was just like, I was like, all right, that sounds good. And the guy's, <laughs> I, I should have red flag. I should have, he goes, really? <laughs> and I was like, yeah, yeah. I think, I think I want to do this. And I kept looking through and I saw a picture of a guy in a parachute and I was like, Oh, what's this? What's this job? He goes, Oh, that's airborne. And I says, well, Airborne what? and infantry, both. <laughs> and and he's and I'm like, okay, I want to do that job. I want to jump out of planes. And he goes, well, that's not a job. That's just kind of a secondary thing. And, I was, and I, was like, I was like, well, can I be infantry and airborne? He's like, yes, yes, you can. And I was like, all right, let's do it. And next thing you know, I'm off I'm to basics.
0: I'll show those Air Force recruiters. I'm going to go infantry and airborne. And I'm yeah. on, I might not be able to fly those planes, but I can jump out of them.
1: That's right. I'm going to get up in the air one way or another. Yeah. Um so
0: you ended up joining the army going infantry become an airborne and I'm assuming in your mind you had a, I'm going to do something about the attacks on September 11th is that right
1: Yeah yeah you know you def there's um in the in the beginning in very early on there is a sense of like justice you know you're right. going to be judge jury and executioner yeah. you're going to be the guy the, the difference between good and evil, you're going to be the guy that stands in in, in front and, and makes things happen for sure.
0: That's a great way of describing it. Not necessarily looking for revenge or even retribution, but I'm going to get myself between good or I'm going to put myself between evil and my, my family and my friends Absolutely. Um, and do my best to make sure that this never happens again. I'm asking you that because you're in the army for a little, for a minute before you deploy for the first time. But when you deploy, it's not strictly speaking to Afghanistan to fight the Taliban and Al-Qaeda. Your first combat deployment is Iraq. Can you describe that?
1: Yeah. um, Tell us uh,
0: a little bit about what you've been doing in the army up to the point that you leave for Iraq.
1: Yeah. It's funny that you say, you know, you're in the army for a minute because that is kind of what happened. I, I graduate basic training, go straight into, you know, advanced infantry training. And then I go straight into uh, airborne training. When I graduate there, I get sent to Italy to the 173rd airborne brigade in Italy. One of the Italy.
0: best gigs in the military for anybody yeah. who doesn't know about it. Go for Pre-9/11. it. pre 9/11. <laughs> I,
1: I find this out later. Like yeah. everybody's like, Oh my God, you're so jealous. You get Italy. Well, Post nine eleven, 11, they got deployed every, every day. Other yeah. year yep. Yep. Uh, for minimum 12 months. So anyway, so I get to Italy and they had just done the first airborne operation since Vietnam. They jumped into Iraq. Uh-huh. I missed that jump by about two weeks.
0: Oh, it's the one that got away from you.
1: The one that got away. And, and it's funny because I should have been in earlier than that, but I was on the delayed entry program. So it took six months to get me to basic, uh. whatever, it doesn't matter. So I get to Italy and the place is deserted. Like they're all gone, and you know, there's just a small detachment left of you know, kind of personnel people. And but within you know, you have to process a week and, and whatever. So, I've literally been out of training and in the army all of like four days, and they're like, All right, check it. You know, you're gonna process this week, we'll get you set up, and then uh, next week you're on a flight yeah, we'll to Iraq. Put
0: you on an airplane for Iraq.
1: And I was just like, huh? You were like,
0: this is what <laughs> I signed up for, but I didn't think it was gonna be
1: that fast. Yeah. I mean, I'm, you know, basic training as great as it is. I mean, it is what it, it's basic, yeah. you know? And then in and the advanced training, you learn how to shoot and communicate and move and all these different things. I had no tactical knowledge. I had no uh, unit cohesion. I had I had nothing, I had nothing. I am, I'm as green behind the ears I, I want to say I may have the record for this from the fastest from <laughs> graduating to combat maybe in the in the history of the art I don't know I don't know I want to say I'm close um, but within two weeks I'm I'm on the ground in Iraq in combat zone in Iraq uh, yeah. while there was still an Iraqi army fighting back
0: oh yeah early in Iraq right so there's still a good fight going 2003. on
1: 2003 yep. yeah uh, it was I had been there in March of 2003 so there was still fighting. Uh, there was still somewhat of a regime and somewhat of a military fighting back. Uh, it was it was intense, and you know, there's there's good and bad that happened because of it. So like eventually, I get you know I get pushed forward, and you know you end up in you know Bagram and 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 then I'm sorry not <laughs> Kirkuk and in, in Iraq, yeah. and and uh, uh, you know you push forward and forward and forward, and eventually, I get to my unit who. Uh, Because it, it's a long. I don't want to bore you the whole story, but eventually I get to my unit and I get to the people that you know the team, the guys the squad, that you're going to work with, the platoon I'm going to be with. And you know, I I had in my head like, oh, I'm here to get some. I'm here to, you Kill know, bad guys and win the war. Yeah, I'm here to win the war. And you know, these are guys that have been there for a couple of weeks now and are not happy to see me and just not not opening like you don't get the because you're the welcome. new guy man I'm the new guy and and there's a there's a and I didn't know what at the time again being 8 barely 18 I didn't know this at the time but there's a, a series of things a these guys were told they were going to jump in they were going to be there for I think it was like 2 weeks uh-huh. and they were going to get pulled out and anybody knows when you're getting replacements and reinforcements you're not getting pulled out anytime soon so I was the harbinger of bad news <laughs> there there's there's also the fact that the reason i got attached to them is there was an opening there wasn't an opening when they deployed yeah. and
0: usually an opening means that somebody got killed exactly
1: so you're replacing someone that they have fought with yeah that they have trained with that they have been you know friends with for a long time and you're taking that guy's spot so there's already love lost there and then on top of all that these guys knew they were deploying, you know, six months prior, uh-huh. they had been training their yeah. ass off yeah. to be a, a lean, mean fighting machine. And I'm a dude that's like, which way does the, the <laughs> bullet come out? Like, you know, like I, I didn't know what the hell I'm doing. And so I'm just, I'm, I'm a liability. I'm a liability to these guys. And, and it, so for so many reasons, I wasn't welcomed and I wasn't, and I, I suffered for it. And, and, you know, th- there's, you know, general sense of hazing and things like when you're a new guy, but this is combat, you know what I mean? So they, I, you don't get to yeah. build the fun yeah. hazing. Right. It's it's just I was just treated like shit from the get go, and and I understand it. I understand. It. Now, at the time, I was so confused. I'm like, what happened to Band of Brothers? And we're supposed <laughs> to be, you know, uh, got your back. And the, and I never felt that early on because of just the pile of shit I had to kind of overcome uh-huh. and and earn that over time. Um, but yeah, I remember <laughs> my first night with the team. They're like, all right, we're going out on a night mission, and I'm like, all right, cool can someone teach me how to use night vision goggles? Because in basic, we had one Yeah,
0: never seen them, right?
1: We had one night and I didn't get that training because like my battle buddy at the time, like sprained his ankle, I had to take him to the medic, whatever. Never held a pair of knots in my life, night vision goggles. And so I had to learn that. And then they're like, all right, you're like a liability. We don't (laughs) want you with us. So we're gonna give you the, the easiest job possible. You're gonna drive the truck. You're gonna drive the Humvee that way you're not responsible for anything yeah. but keeping you can't the hurt anything that road. way and so i go okay where's the keys i'd no. never been in a humvee before
0: for those of you who don't know there are
1: no keys to a humvee it's just a little switch and and okay so now, now they really think i'm an idiot and, and then, I didn't want to mention it at the time, but, oh, yeah, I'm from New York City. I never got a driver's license. <laughs> I don't know how to drive. I don't know how to drive. <laughs> I mean, I, I got the, you know, video games. I got the concept, steer, gas, brake. I get the concept, but never really physically First drive, time
0: driving it. a vehicle in your life is in combat in Iraq. This is under beautiful. Under night operations. Yeah. Under
1: night operations where, again, for those that don't know, night vision goggles, especially, I mean, now they're a lot better. But at the time, just... Turned a black screen into a green yeah. blank screen. <laughs> Couldn't see shit. There, and there's no road. It's all dirt. So I'm like, I have no idea what it. Is. And I'll never forget. Like again, my introduction is they're like, all right, this is how you turn it on. Blah blah blah. And I'm like, all right, cool. And I'm figuring it out, getting in. They're loading up and everything. And uh we had taken over like this tiny little police station, whatever. So we're about to roll out. And I'm like looking around, and I'm like, oh, lights. And I turn on oh. the lights. And literally, like it, you should, thirty guys. Everybody the car, went berserk, right? Just like deer they and lost their mind. Like, oh, fuck. And like I, I literally had someone. Thank God I was wearing a helmet. I think he knew I was wearing. A, I think he knew I was wearing a helmet. But from the back of the truck, reached it and just butt stroked me in the back of the head. turn off the fucking lights. Yeah. And I was like, ah. Yeah. And I'm like, well, why? And they're like, do you want everyone to know that we're leaving now? And like all this and all that and. um yeah. And, and, and then I'm, that's when I was like, well, then how do I see where I'm driving? They're like night vision. I was like, can someone show me uh-huh. how to use this? Um, and yeah, so it was, it was a rough transition Needless
0: to say, it was a little bit of a, of a, a, a rough working it, yourself in, but, but eventually you become part of the team. Right. And you do yeah. develop that brotherhood.
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, within six months, cause it was, yeah. a, you know, yeah, I, I dug a very, deep hole that first week. And so okay. it took me a while to yeah. climb my way out yeah. of it. Um, but no, with, within a couple months, you know, uh, the competitive nature in me, the the athlete in me, you know, uh, I remember my first my first team leader was like, look, you're going to be smart or you're going to be strong. Uh, one yeah. or the other. And uh, because I made myself to look like such an idiot, like, well, I guess strong it is. And so like they would just throw all the gear yeah. on my yeah. back and I would just hump stuff back and forth. Um, you know, again, they gave me the easiest jobs, like maintaining the vehicle and, and making sure, you know, all right, fluids are topped off and yeah. you know, oil the joints and all this stuff and make sure the gears ready to go. So everybody else can just take it easy. Um, so I was, you know, I was kind of the bitch boy for yeah. the first little while, but, uh-huh. uh, but I earned, I earned my stripes and my, my, my position in the team. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, figured there was only so many things I could control. And so if I just focus on the things that I could control, everything else would kind of work its way out. Right um and so like i used to study like i would get the field manuals and yeah, early in the war we didn't have internet or phones or xboxes or tvs like they have in the later years but so in my downtime i just read field manuals clean my weapon you know i didn't have to do pt cuz i got smoked all the time <laughs> all the time I, my my first arm was just a real dick and his amusement was making me suffer yeah. um and so like he would smoke me just randomly for no reason uh but i got strong i got strong i got, strong. I got yeah. fast and uh, and i got smart how know? long
0: was that first trip over to iraq
1: so we were there the unit in total was there i think 13 or 14 months uh-huh. uh and then me being just a couple weeks behind them uh was a little bit less than that but yeah they they were initially told three weeks then you know like when i got around there they're you know they were asking me about it and i was like well uh, they didn't say anything about coming back, so I didn't give them any good information. <laughs> it
0: was a one-way ticket over here.
1: Yeah, pretty much. And then uh, and then, rumor got around. It was, oh, it's going to be three months and then six months. And then finally, people were just like, stop. You know, we'll just die here. Like, yeah. this weird, this is, we live here now. Um, and uh, it ended up being a little bit over a year for that first deployment.
0: And then you come back to Italy. Um, how you eventually make your way over to Afghanistan. But how long of a period of time between um, Iraq and Afghanistan?
1: So... We were literally on the, so we, we left Iraq, got on a plane, ended up in Germany, from Germany, hopped over to Aviano in Italy, and from Aviano to our base in Vicenza was like a, I don't know, hour's half ride. So we're getting off that plane, getting on the buses, and this is like, we're it. This is our final thing yeah. before we're home. And we're on the bus, and like right as we're about to leave, you know, pull out of, the, uh, of Aviano, they're like, hey guys, listen, heads up. Uh, you know, you did it, you're here, you're live. Celebrate it. Be smart. Don't do something stupid. But just so you know, we've already got orders. We're leaving for Afghanistan one year from today. And so what a wow. welcome, welcome
0: home. Welcome home, everybody. Go have fun.
1: Yep. And uh, and and in one year, you're going to be going to Afghanistan. And yeah. so there was a lot of stunned silence for that whole ride and um, and awkward hellos when we got home. But, uh, but yeah, we found out that it'd be a year we'd be going to Afghanistan. So that, you know, they gave us like a month- R&R post-return, and then just spent the whole year just training and training hard. And uh, we spent, I think, two or three out of the whole year, months in Germany, in the mountains Uh of Germany training. And then uh, then they gave us another block leave, another month off, right before the deployment. And then uh, February of 2005, we deployed to uh, two days after Valentine's Day, February 16th. 2005, we deployed to uh, Afghanistan. I'm
0: trying to paint this picture right now, CQ, because I want people to know, guys, a lot of guys and gals joined the military right after September 11th because they wanted to go fight the Taliban. They wanted to go defeat Al-Qaeda. They wanted to make America safe again. And then they found themselves in Iraq and they're like, wait, man, I was actually showing up because I, I was planning on going to Afghanistan and helping to solve that problem. Yeah. So in your case, you join up, uh, ready to fight the Taliban and end up in Iraq for 13 months, come back. And the day that you show back up into your home base, you're being notified. Don't get too comfortable because you are turning around and going again this time to Afghanistan.
1: Yep. Pretty much. Pretty much. Were you married at the time? No, no, I was saying, so I was single when I went to Iraq I was, I was dating somebody <laughs> when I went into Iraq. Um, but, she, she was so great that she was very, you know, the dear John letter. Oh you yeah. Know
0: uh, for those of you who don't know it, it's the letter saying I'm done with you and I, yeah. you can't do anything about it because you're in combat and I'm back at home.
1: Yeah. Like you've been gone six months and I'm three months pregnant. Uh, so right. You no. Know, um, I was dating someone and she was awesome and, and we were really good friends and she said, look, we don't know when you're coming back and, and, you know, I'm young and I want to do my thing. And, and, and I, res- I respected that because I'd seen, so many bad letters and i've yeah. seen so many people got yeah. you know cheated on and this and this and that and so i was like hey man do you i get it i get it we weren't we hadn't been dating long, so i was like why would you a couple weeks maybe um so i was single throughout that and then when i got back to afghanistan uh got into a couple you know a date around whatever and then prior to afghanistan i was kind of in a serious relationship um the last couple months before Afgan- you yeah know, as serious as you can be at like 19 um, but uh, but you know, thinking uh, this is an Italian girl, and I was like, I think this is, uh, this yeah, is the one. You got a beautiful Italian girl. Is the one, she can cook and she can do <laughs> the things, and uh, she was great. And um, that didn't. Long story short, it didn't work out. But um, but yeah, so I, I deployed to Afghanistan in in uh, February of two thousand five.
0: So by the time you get to Afghanistan, how long have you been in the army? Two and a half years.
1: I mean. I, my entry date is January 15th of 2003. So a a, a month over two years Okay, on my second combat tour. Yeah. And you got to think that, you know what? Six months out of that. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I, I, in my military career, I spent more time in combat than I did out of combat in my military career. Which
0: is almost unheard of in the U S history, but it's true of basically an entire generation of combat veterans from Afghanistan and Iraq right now. Yep. All right. So by the time you get to Afghanistan, you, you have a couple of things figured out, you know how to wear nods and you know how to turn on a Humvee by now, right?
1: At the minimum. Yes. 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 No, but by the time, you know, I'm very fortunate, you know, I I've got a strong work ethic and I, I like having the odds against me. Um, so by the time, you know, in the year and a half that I've been with the unit, I built up a reputation. I'd work my ass off. I'd you know, soldier of the month board and, and all these different things had the highest PT score. I was running a, two, you know, when we were in Afghanistan, we would do these, not PT tests, but we would just see, you know, challenge each other. And I, I think at 35,000 feet, I ran a 12 minute, two mile, you know? So I, I was, I was physically fit yeah. again. I focused on the things that I can control. So right. I was one of the best shots in the unit. uh, best PT, uh, knowledgeable as fuck. You know, I'm like, I've, I've memorized those books backwards. Yeah. You get there was a point where you could be like, all right, page 13, fifth line. And I, like, I would know it because uh-huh. I just I memorized these books. And so, um, by the time we had uh, gotten ready for Afghanistan, I was specialist promotable. Uh, I was on the, on the verge of, you know, doing my, getting my E5 sergeant and, and I was already leading a team um, within, you know, just because of the experience that I had yeah. in, you know, the first rotation. And, and obviously there's a lot of change over oh, yeah. guys. People are sure. EPSing out and new guys coming in. So, At that point, it's so weird to be my next deployment. Like I'm looked at as like the grizzled old vet at nineteen, and and leading a four man team.
0: Yeah. For people that are listening to this podcast, uh, we do shoot video. This will drop on Twitch and on YouTube. They can't see a couple of the scars because they're listening that I can see. Um, But for those people that are listening to this, describe September. 2005, you're about six, almost seven months into Afghanistan. When you go in on this operation, talk about September 9th.
1: Yeah. So, um, yeah, we're, I was about six, six or so months in and we knew it was going to be a year deployment. They told us that right out of the gate, you're gonna be there 12 months. So about six months in uh, only a couple days, believe it or not, from my, my two week R and R everybody gets like a two week yeah, yeah. Uh, R and R while they're there. And, and so I was a couple of days away from mine. Um, and so, this was this particular. You know, we did a lot of things in Afghanistan uh, as infantry do. We're the jack of all trade. Yeah. And so, this particular one was was really a hot item for us, and we were actually very excited to be doing. We had gotten intel that there was a high value target in our area, and so because we were right on the border of Pakistan, uh-huh. we we're uh, uh, the Paktika province, so right eastern Afghanistan-Pakistan area, and so. We knew through rumblings, like we knew way back when that Osama bin Laden was in Pakistan. We knew that for a long time. Um, and they were using this, you know, a couple of these valleys to kind of uh-huh. get in and out from Afghanistan. So we get intel that says, you know, one of Osama's top guys, like maybe rumor had like right-hand man, like that high. And that he's operating in our area and that I got to be careful, with like how much information I share. Yeah. There was a way that we were figuring out his location, and so, the like what they they, they built this mission and what it was going to be was, you know, we would get the location, we you know run to the airfield, get in the Blackhawks, get over there, kick indoors, capture this guy, kill or capture whatever comes, and and that would be the mission, and so we did it the first day. Get to the village, you know, because they were they were like recruiting, yeah, for, you know, right, Taliban and whatnot. Uh, and and we missed him. He wasn't there. Checked everywhere. He wasn't there. And people tell us, "Oh, he just left." And so we did it the second day, and the third day, and the fourth day, and we're always just missing him. So finally, the brass is like, uh, "All right, I'm gonna try this one more time. And I'm gonna be smart this time because usually we get the intel. Gotta round everybody up, gear up, get to the birds. That's we're wasting time. So what we're gonna do is we are going to sit." on the Blackhawks, fully kitted up, Wow! and just wait. That way, the second we get intel, we are up in the air in 30 seconds. So we sat there for, I think it was like 14, 15 hours. Oh,
0: my goodness. You know, all brutal. kitted up.
1: Oh. And and really only, you know, stepping off the flight line to, you know, hit the latrine. Yeah. They would bring food to us. Um. And uh, I think they were like three hours from canceling it. They're like, look, if we don't get hit in three hours, then we're just... We scrub it which you know it is what it is and so all of a sudden we get the word we got his location we're, we're let's go and so we're up in the air in like 30 seconds i mean we are just and like blood pumping you know uh-huh. adrenaline going. Yeah. Like we, we we know we got him this time we know we got him um and so at the like i said i was a team leader at the time and and uh i had my 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 platoon leader was in was in my my black hawk and and we we're very fortunate there was Two Blackhawks, there's two different teams, two different Blackhawks. And then I didn't know it at the time, but we also had uh, close air support with Apaches. I didn't know it at the time, which comes in later, And so, you know, we're up in the air, we're going, I'm sitting on the, you know, we fly with the doors open, I'm sitting on the door and we, you know, we have all the, they have the comms and hey, 30 seconds out. And at this point, I would typically lean out. I'd I'd see we're coming up on a town, a village, a formation, something. And I can, we can start to assess like, all right, are we going to land on the outskirts? Are we going to hover? Are we going to fast rope? Are we going to jump? Whatever. So I get the thing 30 seconds. I lean out. I see nothing. Just valleys and ridges, yeah. valleys and yeah. ridges. Yeah. And I'm like, huh, that's weird. And, I, you know, my team was all looking at me like, what's up? And yeah, I'm what's like, what's going on, boss? I was like, I don't, I don't know. man <laughs> like, We'll find out. Getting closer to getting close. All right, five seconds look out again nothing just just that is and so now at this point i'm like oh man i wonder if we you know like are they in a the cave system yeah, right you know, like maybe they're maybe we got their their hideout or one of their spots and so as we're coming in i realized there's no flat land to land anywhere and and for those that don't know you can't land a helicopter on a mountain because it'll roll right over yeah. and so typically you know if it's 15, 20 feet, we'll hook up the ropes, we'll do the fast rope in. We're airborne. It was about eight feet they were able to hover over a nice spot. So I just, I told my guys, like, they're like getting the rope ready. I was like, nah, don't worry about it. We're going to jump. And so I jump and just ate shit on the land. I just did not anticipate the angle, the Uh slope. I mean, I just knocked the wind out of myself. I mean, I'd love to think that I was like this cool, like, Superhero pose landed. I h I was a sack of rocks. just Bam, and I'm like i was just like, as so I like rolled over. I'm like getting on myself up. I'm dusting myself off. There's like this big kind of rock formation over there. So I, I you know casually walk over, take a knee, start looking around. Um, you know, uh, Blackhawks ha- hovering above me. You guys are jumping out. I can hear the impact <laughs> of the guys hitting.
0: Doing the same thing that you yeah did. just
1: just boom, whatever. And then I just kind of casually look back, and I'm I watched like. I know my guys, I watched the last guy coming out and as he's coming out, it looked awkward. He kind of like twisted as he was coming out, fell straight down. And as he's laying there, I can see him grabbing his leg and what looks like screaming. It's very loud. You can't hear anything with this, this giant black hole covering above you. And I see him and I see him kind of like, and I'm thinking, fuck, he tripped out the thing landed, hopefully didn't break his leg. I'm thinking, man, he just maybe sprained it or something or dislocated. It. So I'm like, oh, it's a broken leg. That's a whole, oh yeah, my God. Mission scrub there's a whole thing. And at the time, you know, we had we had two teams on this Blackhawk and two teams on the other Blackhawk. That other Blackhawk landed on another ridge. Mm-hmm. So just, you know, not very far, but just a whole different ridge. And at the time there's two, you know, we had one combat lifesaver guy trained per team. So we had two on the our side of the mountain um, and combat lifesaver is just, you're not a medic, you're not trained to medic hole. things, but you're, 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 you're a bandaid. You're, yeah. you're meant to, you know, if I got to start an IV, splint the leg, you know, sucking chest wound, whatever, like keep, tourniquets, keep things alive. like that. Yep. Yeah. Keep them alive until a medic can get to them. And so right away, I got, I got my CLS bag and I'm like, Oh God, this is going to be a bunch of paperwork. It's gonna be a whole thing. <laughs> so I just, um, lost military bearing for a second, but I was just like, oh, I got to administratively. I'm like, this is going to suck. And I get up and I start walking towards him. And right then is where the black Hawk pulls away. And I hear him scream. I'm hit. And that's when I can hear, you know, them just opening up on us. Yeah. just Firing. And it's like everything very matrix style slows down. I'm processing a lot of information all at once. I'm out in the open. He's hit. I hear gunfire and then I can see like bullet impacts around Mm -hmm. him. I can see these little puffs because when the helicopter is above you, you, you know, everything's getting kicked up. You don't see anything. So as soon as it pulled away, I just see just dirt piles pop, pop, pop. And in that split second, you know, the choice is, you know, I wasn't hit when I was over by that big rock. I can die for cover or I can run out and try to grab this guy
0: run through the bullets for everybody who's listening right now and and can't picture this. I can run through the bullets and get to him or I can stay by that big rock. I didn't see it that way,
1: but yes, pretty much. And, and like, you know, what it felt to me, like, like I had time to debate and think about it, (laughs) but obviously this happens in the matter of a split second. And before I know it, I'm just charging out after this guy, uh, I, I, I grabbed him, you know, we had these little like handlebar uh-huh. collar kind of things on the back of the vest. So I just grabbed him by that. Not really knowing where we're getting shot from only, I can only assume that we're getting shot from uphill is my best guess. Um, but not going to stand there and look around. <laughs> so again, my brain just says I didn't get hit when I was over there. That's safe. And so I grabbed him by the collar and I start dragging him as fast as I can. And I'm, you know, trying to assess as I'm dragging. And so this, this part has taken me a very long time to understand uh-huh. what happened. I, it didn't make sense at the time, but I've, I've fig- kind of figured it out. And as I was dragging him, it felt like he got snagged on something. Like as if his, his belt or his vest or something got caught on a root or a branch or I don't know what, but all of a sudden he just, it felt like I was pulling a, an F-150 behind me. Uh-huh. And I'm like looking and I'm like trying to understand, and he's still, you know, kind of worming around. He's at his leg, and I'm like, I don't understand. And what I didn't realize at the time was that I had gotten shot through, through my bicep, bicep, and had comp- the bullet had uh, AK forty seven armor piercing round had gone through my bicep, completely shattered the bone, um, and so I, I was basically just dragging him by like the the flesh the that was still connected. Yeah. Um, and so couldn't process like, uh, all I could just slung my weapon, grabbed my other arm and just pulled even harder, dragged him. And before we're almost to safety, almost to the, to this big kind of rock formation. And before I got there, it happened again. Like now it's like, I'm pulling the Titanic behind me and I'm like, what, like what's going on? Didn't realize I had taken a bullet through my right shoulder uh the bullet actually eh, kind of underarm i guess but it, it kind of went up through the soft part and just just missed the soft armor yeah. went through my my armpit went up and was actually headed to my my neck and my spine hit my clavicle and then exited my back and so didn't feel it at all just remember thinking like i got to get him back and so i pulled with everything i had in me and and that had
0: yeah. You got a, a left bicep and right shoulder at this point, right?
1: Yeah. I, I didn't have a shoulder anymore. It had completely blown my shoulder out my back. And so again, this, now my right arm is completely disconnected from anything. And I just, I just yanked with everything I had and kind of got him back. And in my brain, I'm like, I, right, you know, team leader, you know what to do. We've done this a thousand times we've trained and we've, we've been in firefights plenty of times. Like the, that, the, 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 like that stuff wore off a long time ago. Like I know what I'm <laughs> doing, and so I step out. I'm gonna lift my weapon so that I can use my, you know, my vision, my my uh, ACOG to kind of scout the area and, and scope out what's going on. And I like my hand just kind of slap at my weapon, and I can't pick it up. And my brain cannot process what's happening. I'm I'm like, you know, pick up your weapon, and yeah. I'm, like, I'm just slapping my hand. Why aren't at my it.
0: arms working right?
1: and and again this is you know to me it felt like i had time to sit down and think about it but i'm sure it was only a couple seconds but i, I couldn't pick up my weapon i'm trying to understand what's going on i'm like i'm not in shock i this is nothing new for me like i mean yeah one of my guys is injured but it's a, like it could be fine um and and i'm and in that moment of me standing there trying to pick up my weapon uh it felt like i got hit by a bus and basically i had taken two shots uh, one basically to the heart and one lower abdomen. Now they were stopped, luckily, by the armor I was wearing. By the metal plate. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we use that. Ceramic a, 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 back then. Yeah. Yeah, dragon skin, IBA, whatever high tech shit there was at the time. And which is only rated to stop one, one bullet.
0: bullet yep. Believe
1: it or not. And so luckily they were spaced out enough that it t- absorbed all the impact, blasted me off my feet and uh didn't know it at the time had shattered all, almost all the ribs on my right side and collapsed my lung and so i'm laying on my back just going like what the fuck? <laughs> like what was that and uh, you know and, and at that point i'm realizing like oh god i think i got hit like i thought i was in an explosion i assumed i got like blown yeah. off my, my feet and i'm just like and i'm like i'm trying I'm like just kind of squirming on the ground like telling my, my brain is saying get up get back in the fight get up like just you can't just lay here my body was just like, nope, we are, we are now going to, we're going to reboot. <laughs> and I, I couldn't, like, I'm just squirming. I couldn't move. I couldn't breathe. Every breath felt like I was getting 20% oxygen. I just couldn't breathe. My brain's going a mile a minute. And I'm laying there. Again, it feels like an eternity, probably just a couple seconds. And very fortunate that the, the only other combat lifesaver on the, on that side of the mountain uh, saw me. And ran, you know, through gunfire, through yeah. explosives. I mean, they were firing RPGs at us, grenades uh-huh. at us, um, and and ran to me. And like, I just remember laying on my back, and I see his face over mine, and he's like, "Hey, stay down, stay down." And I'm like, "I'm like, hey, help me get up, help me." And he's like, "No, stay down, stay down, stay down." Um, and so he immediately, like, he's like, "Shit, like, you're bleeding," and I was like, "From where?" And he's like, "Everywhere, right?" Everywhere. And so, I was just like, oh, shit, that's not good. What um, is
0: the, uh, man, tell me, tell everybody, what is the
1: total amount of wounds that you receive in this firefight? So I uh, shot through the biceps, which completely separated my arm from the inside. Luckily, so, again, training is that uh, a bullet going in, small hole, bullet coming out, big, big hole. hole. Yep. And so very fortunate that the bullet never exited my arm. Because had it gone straight through, my arm was completely blown off. There's nothing left uh, but fortunately enough, I was muscular enough as the doctor uh-huh. told me, this doctor, he said, you know, muscle is denser than fat. And he goes, the fact that, you know, all we did was lift all day, um, when we weren't on missions. So the fact that I had massive biceps saved my arm. Um, and so, and, and the fact that it kind of went straight, like yeah. you you know, see the whole, it went straight into the thickest part of the bicep and that slowed down the bullet enough that when it hit the bone, it just kind of ricocheted inside. But never left my arm so i had that one i had the two in the chest that that uh shattered my ribs collapsed my lung uh the one through the shoulder which completely destroyed my clavicle and shoulder there was nothing left uh and exited my back and then the one that went um hit this you. one is harder to pinpoint hit you because, in the hand
0: for those people that
1: are listening, Yeah, right hand middle right finger hand. amputated mm-hmm. um it, some say it was a bullet some say it was Sh- Shrapnel from a grenade yeah. it, it's hard to pinpoint exactly Like it, it could have happened early it could have happened late it's hard to really pinpoint where that one happened um and then so he's he's looking down at me and he's, he's starting to try to assess the situation and um you know he, he's like he's like oh, i see blood he's like putting tourniquets and at this point things are starting to slow down and i can i can feel Start
0: to feel the pain right
1: it, it, less less of the pain at that moment it what it felt like like when you're coming down off adrenaline and you start to feel really sleepy and really tired. And I just felt like a battery that was draining. Uh-huh. And immediately I realized, oh my God, I think I'm bleeding out. And I'm, I'm asking him, I'm like, Hey man, I, I, I think I'm bleeding out. And he's like, he's, you know, he's, he's patting me down. He's like, he's putting tourniquets on my arms and he's like, yeah, there's a lot of blood, but I don't, I don't see a, a lot. Like he's like, I don't see enough that you'd be able to bleed out. And, I, and it was at that moment as things were kind of settling down that I didn't feel pain but the best description I could say is if you laid flat on your back, but put like a rock under your back shoulder, like it it just felt very uncomfortable. It felt like I was like, I told him, I was like, dude, something, something's going on with my shoulder. And so he slid his hand into my vest down my back and immediately ripped it out. And like, as it's in front of my face, it is, it's like he stuck a hand in paint yeah, just soaked. And this this is a Mexican kid, very Brown kid. Like turn just white. ghost white, white as I've ever seen, and like unnaturally white. And and he's like, hey hey, there's a hole. And I was like, okay. I was like, how big's the hole? And he kind of just balled up his fist. <laughs> and I was like, damn, that's not good. That my I, I didn't pay a lot of attention in in combat lifesaver training, but I'm pretty sure big holes are a bad thing. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I was like, I was like, hey man, you gotta you gotta you gotta pack it. You gotta pack it. And so he's like, you know, we had Curlex was uh-huh. rolled up bandages and he's popping them open and he's like not unrolling it, just shoving bandage. And that's the first pain I felt. Yeah. When he jammed that curlex into Inside
0: my side of you. Yeah.
1: That was the most excruciating thing I've ever felt. And so, you know, he starts packing it and all and all the while, all the, God bless him, there's a gunfight happening. There uh-huh. are explosions. At one point, someone yelled "grenade" as he was working on me, and he literally threw his body over me. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, I asked him about this a long time, you know, many years afterwards, and I said, "Why? Like I, I was barely holding on." And and his answer was the very like you were barely holding on. Like I couldn't let you get more injured. Like he was willing to put his yeah. body
0: so that Use his I didn't body get or injured.
1: Yeah. You know, like you see it in movies all the time with like you use the guy that's been shot as a shield. Like you, you know, you, you should have hit under me, let me take more of the damage so he stays in the fight. But it's just it's something you don't train for, it's just something that it's a brotherhood, it's a bond yeah. that you build, and and he just threw his body over me. As soon as it went off, right back to work. Just yeah. like 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 nothing. And um the funny thing was, you know, at the time, I think he was like an E2, he was a private, and we had our platoon sergeant who's you know barking out orders over there, and the first thing they teach you in combat lifesaver class is you always reassure the patient. Hey, buddy, hang on, I it's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. It's fine. You're, you you got to keep their spirits up. And so he's working on me, and he I just remember him looking over. He's like, "Sorry, Nathan," is our platoon sergeant. He's like, "We got to get the birds back in here. He's got to go." And and I heard him. He's like, "It's too hot. We can't. They're not going to come back. It's too hot. If you don't get those birds in here, fucking, he's going to fucking die. He's going to die right now." And I was just like, oh man, not what that's you wanted to hear? Yeah. Oh, that's not good. I was like, dude, you gotta like, I'm okay. I'm gonna be all right. Like, <laughs> he's like, he's gonna fucking die right here. And so, um, so, he's patching me. Another guy ran over, and they're trying to work on me while the you know team's doing what it does and fighting back. And again, we we're very fortunate that we had close air support, and Apaches were there in seconds. Uh, they just started raining fucking hellfire on the hillside mm. i just remember explosions it was, you can't you couldn't hear anything it was just so loud and uh they're working on their work on me and, and eventually within a few minutes they're like all right the birds are back the birds are back and at this point like i remember my head was uphill my feet were downhill the whole time they're working on me all i could think of was wiggle your toes wiggle your toes wiggle your toes because i'm like if i've been hitting the spine i'm paralyzed oh yeah but if i could just wiggle my toes i'm okay i can i can deal with the rest of it I can deal with the rest of it. And so I just was starting to get the ability to move my feet again. Like, my body was regaining itself. And um, so I'm like, okay, cool. I'm not I'm not paralyzed. That's a good sign. Because I couldn't move my arms. And so I thought maybe it was like a yeah. you know, higher paralyzation, whatever. Right. And um, they're like, all right, the, the birds are here, the birds are here. And I remember I, I kind of, like, lifted my head so that I could see downhill. And this black hawk looked like an ant. Uh-huh. Like, it was so far away. And here they are, like they're unrolling. We had a skid coat. We had this little, it's like a, a a mesh fabric that you use for stretchers. They're unrolling it. And I know for a fact we never carried the poles with us because we're like, ah, it's a waste. Worst case you drag a guy. And I'm like, they're gonna drag me down this mountain. <laughs> and, I, and I and I and I I told him I said no. And and I'm like no man, you gotta we're gonna get you down. We're gonna we're gonna get you to birds you fucking drag me down this mountain. I will die before we get there. There's no, the rocky, dirty. Yeah. I am bleeding out. I was like, pick me up. We're going to run. And I'm like, no, yeah, it's still gunfight going on. It's like, no, it's not there. there, there. Pick me up. We're going to, I'd rather, I'd rather die standing on my feet than being dragged mm-hmm. down. The mountain. And so God bless him, man. These two guys, they pick me up one arm over each guy. And we just, you know, you know, calling out cover and everything. And and my guy's doing what they had to do. And and they got me out of there. We just ran full sprint down this mountain. Um, And the funny part, I can laugh about it now, is as we're running up to this, you know, it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger. I realize I can't, I I know I can't use my arms. I, I realize that. And it dawns on me that the helicopter's hovering. It is, it is not landed because, you know, mountainside. Uh-huh. And I'm, I'm as we're running to it, I'm thinking, how the hell am I going to climb into this thing? And without skipping a beat, in full sprint, I just feel two guys grab my ass and they they up and throw, throw, you throw me. Mm-hmm. Like like I'm luggage at the airport. This guy, these guys threw me up into the air about seven, eight feet, and I landed just, again, because, you know, when you're falling, you put your hands up. Yeah. To, couldn't do that face first middle floor of a black hawk just boom and uh was very lucky that we had one of the best medics with us that yeah. day um a guy who had a ton of experience and he i mean got to work on me immediately i mean just ripping off clothes i remember laying there and uh and i realized at that moment that the guy that got shot in the leg he was already in there uh-huh. i looked up and he was in one of the seats so i was like all right well he's good and uh I'm laying there and he's yeah, this guy's ripping off and he sees how bad I am and he just yells at the pilot. He's like, You fucking go. Like he's like yeah. and I'd never been in a in a in a black hawk that went, I mean, just vertical. Uh-huh. I mean, nose to the ground and just flash. I'd never seen it move that fast. Um, and of course, both doors are open, and I'm on a metal floor, and now I'm pretty much naked, and I'm I just remember like free, I just be was so cold, so cold. You know, and he and God bless him, man. This doc is just working on me and, and IVs and this and this and that. And I remember like that's when like all the pain yeah. started coming, and all I could I just yelling at him. I'm like morphine, just Jesus Christ, <laughs> morphine. Like I know like, he's, he's trying to keep me alive. God bless him. But all I can think of is like like if I'm gonna die, at least don't let me die in pain. <laughs> like let me I just slip away peacefully. I was just like morphine. And finally, he, he ended me with the morphine, and I was. At that point, I was like, "All right, I'm good." And it it's weird that I had this thought. And a lot of people always ask me, like, "What was that that first thought?" And I, I, you know, I I was I was okay dying, but I just I felt good that I was in our guys' hands. Yeah. You know.
0: Not you gonna know. fall into the enemy's hands.
1: Yeah. yeah. It, it just this thought that like at least I'll get a burial, I'll right. get a a proper send off, and I'll you know. God forbid, you know, be desecrated by, and it is what it is, you know, that's the worst case scenario, but I was, I was at that point, I was like, hey, I'm, I'm in, like, I might die, I know, I was aware that, yeah, that I was pretty badly injured, and, like, you know, things could end badly for me, but um, yeah, I, I was just happy to be in, in, you know, U.S. forces' hands.
0: CQ, I want to skip forward now. Um, There's a whole lot more about your surgeries, about your two years in the hospital, about all of the things that it took just for you to come back from basically being a guy who's almost completely disabled because of both arms. Unfortunately, I don't have time to get into that, but the part of your story that I think people really need to hear, got just a few more minutes with you, is let's talk about the fight back that you had to make um, with... Uh, you know, survivor's guilt and some PTSD and the brain injuries, the traumatic brain injuries that you had to fight back from because the gunfire could have and almost killed you. But the depression and the suicidal thoughts also came pretty close. So now can you just get honest with people and talk about, you know, the, the fight back to becoming the man that you are today?
1: Absolutely. And then, like you said, there, there's so much to this story, spending two years in the hospital, 44 surgeries actually died twice and had to be brought back twice. Um, and so, and so we'll definitely have to do a part two at some yeah. point. Um, but, but to skip ahead in that, you know, eventually two years later getting to a point where they're like, Hey, you're as good as you're going to get physically, you know, the army's done with you. And, and it really was a case of like, you know, I was just going to appointments every day and doing physical therapy. Occupation. And one day they're like, Hey, you gotta go to this office. And, you know, sign some paperwork. I was like, all right, cool. Whatever it happens all the time. And I signed the paperwork and they're like, all right, well, you are officially retired from the medical army. And I'm like, wait, what? And it was just like, here's the door. Good luck. Yeah. I was like, well, what do I do now? And they're like, well, no, you're going to get a paycheck and you don't have to do anything. You, I was 23, 24. And they're like, yeah, you don't have to do anything. You, you, you did your time. You earned your surgery, Like blah, blah, blah. And just enjoy life. And I'm like, This is all I've like ever, like, that's all I know, right? This is is who I am is how I identify with myself. And so, you know, at first it's, it's, you're fine. I mean, you, I went out and, you know, I'd spent two years in the hospital and I'd great, amazing physical treatment. And obviously it's a lot better now, but at the time, the mental health services weren't there yet. And and they were so overwhelmed with the, I mean, hundreds of thousands of guys getting physically injured. And so the attention was where it should be, right? Life-saving. And but at that time, there wasn't we didn't talk about PTSD. We didn't talk about the mental health stuff. We didn't talk about properly like how do you adjust from this and going into that. Like there's just there was no nothing. And so I took my money and I, I bought a house in the woods in Pennsylvania. I didn't want to be bothered. And and I lived there for a couple of years. And at that point I was married and my wife god bless her did the best she could uh-huh. she had no idea what i was dealing with she had no idea and just there to support me as best as she could but it got it got bad it got bad and it was a slow it was a slow descent and i think a lot of people don't realize that like you think oh next day i have ptsd i'm going to kill somebody and for the most part a ptsd is a very big spectrum there is the you know the stuff you see on the news of like guy goes berserk and yeah. you know blackout drunks and all that. But there's the other side of the spectrum, which is where I was kind of living, which was isolation and depression, suicidal thoughts, and and and, and just this just dark place. And I didn't want to be around people. And so there'd be weeks at a time where I didn't leave my house, and my wife basically kept me alive. We bought her groceries and uh-huh. like just kept me alive. And I, I did nothing. I didn't work. I didn't I didn't have activities and. And it was a slow descent into that, and so that's why you don't don't realize what's happening until it's too late. Until you're or, way or, in it, right? Deep. Yeah, in you're it. you're you're so deep in it, and and it's the voice in the head that tells you you know you're a freak, or you're you know you're the only one that's dealing with this, and and you can't tell anybody, and then you know and then part of that military brainwashing, that infantry brainwashing, where it's like you can't talk about right. being injured, you can't you can't show weakness, you have to fight through it, you rub dirt in it, drink water, take a knee, whatever. And so it's a very hard thing to deal with. And it was isolating. And I was just very fortunate that I, I met somebody who understood what I was going through and, and had to basically walk me through it. He had to show me that what I was what what was PTSD and, and what I was dealing with. Cause I knew a couple guys had gotten to hard of pills and booze and stuff. And I was like, oh, that guy's that guy doesn't got it together. And but I couldn't identify, you know, the fact that I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating right. I wasn't uh, I wasn't doing things that I enjoyed doing. I was alone. I was isolated. All these different things and struggling and struggling. And um, very fortunate that I met a, a really good guy who became my mentor and became my, my best friend and um, helped me identify what was going on with me and what the name was and the cause was and that it was totally normal. That, yeah. PTSD is this, it's, it's your brain's normal processing of traumatic events. Yeah. You, you go through something and your brain is just trying to protect itself. You burn your hand on the stove. Your brain is always going to be like, ah, hot, you know? And, and so when you've lived years in a combat zone and like, take away the injuries, you, I know guys who never like million, you know, combat tours and firefights never took a bullet, never took an explosion. And there the, the, it builds up everything uh-huh. you've seen, everything you've experienced. And it, it builds up and it and it affects you completely. It every it roots itself in everything you do in your daily life. And so um it was a hard couple of years, but I was I was so lucky. I was headed in a very bad place and I was just lucky that I met the guy that I did when I did and he got me the help I needed instead of programs I needed and therapy and medication and 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 activities and getting outside of myself and and so many things to get me out of that funk. And and it's you know it's not something that ever goes away. Yeah, right i still struggle i still have bad days but i can put words to it i know my support system i know the things that i can do to take steps to kind of get through it um but yeah it's it's uh it, it was a lot it's a lot and i'm very lucky i know i'm very lucky to, to be around staff. how did you meet this guy so um at the time i going through walter reed army medical center uh-huh. where i did in washington dc um you know, there's the red cross and all these different programs one of the programs at the time was Window War project. And so they captured my information, never did anything with them, never, whatever. Um, and they would call me every year, like in my house. And they were like, Hey, you know, do you need anything? I'm like, no, I'm fine. Leave me alone. And one day one of the guys calls me. He's like, <clears throat> it's like, I see, you know, you've been with us for whatever it was three years at this point. Like you've never done anything. Like what, what would get you out of the house? And I was like, I don't know, whatever. And he started naming a bunch of things. And one of the things he said was a football game. And I, I grew up loving football obviously never actually went to a professional NFL game I'm uh-huh. born in New York City never made it to Jersey to see the Giants play or the Jets or whatever and so I was like oh, I guess I'd go to a football game and so they got me tickets to this game with a bunch of other guys and uh it was at it was there that I met I met this guy yeah. and um and we just started talking and I ended up talking to him more than watching the game and and uh, we exchanged numbers and then kind of hit it off and um yeah my life changed dramatically after that
0: I want people to hear from you, CQ, Um, and you've just described this really well. The fight back from trauma, PTSD, traumatic brain injury, sometimes that fight takes longer. It's harder because it's you fighting you, not you fighting the enemy. So I really want you to talk to warriors right now that feel like, uh, you know, hey, um, there are other guys that had it worse than me. I'm okay. I don't need to worry about me. Um, but they're struggling with some of the same things you did. And maybe they just don't feel comfortable saying it to any other person on the planet. What, I know you work with the veterans administration. Now you mentor warriors. So talk directly to those warriors who just don't want to say out loud, I'm struggling.
1: Yeah, it's, it is the hardest thing in the world to do. Um, It would be easier for most warriors to to go to a medic and say like I've got this hangnail that really hurts, than to open which up which would say, be hey, totally
0: man. embarrassing and everybody would ridicule for you for right. saying something like right. that. But you'd that would be more like willing to say thing. that. Yeah,
1: it would be easier to say that than to say, "Hey man, I'm having these weird thoughts. I'm having these dark thoughts, or I'm I'm I don't feel like myself." And it's 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 the hardest thing in the world to do. And I understand it. I have been there. I've like you said, I've, I've mentored a bunch of guys who, you know. You you have to be strong. You know your your family relies on you. Your your military career relies on you. All these different things, and you don't realize that your mental health is attached to everything you do. Yeah, absolutely. It, touch- it touches every phase of your life. If you weren't happy with your your body, you would hire a personal trainer or get a gym membership, and you would work that out until you got to where you want to be. The same rule applies to your mental health. If you're not where you want to be, if you're not happy where you are, you should get a professional, someone who knows what they're doing to help you get to where you wanna be. It's it's that simple, it's that simple. If I wanna lift 300 pounds, I have to work to get to that point. Yeah. If I wanna be happy with who I am and in my life, I need to work to get to that point. You know, We drown ourselves in our work, in our families, in our hobbies, whatever it is. And and you need to take that time to make sure you're in a good, clean mental health space. And it doesn't mean you're going to be perfect. Nobody's perfect. I'm not perfect. I have my bad days, but understanding that you have a support system, understanding that you can be open and honest about it and talk with it. Me and my wife have developed a system where, you know, if I can tell when I wake up, if I'm already off to the wrong start uh-huh. and like, I'll be like, Hey babe, you know, just I'm feeling blue today. You know, and it's, that's our little code word that says something's wrong. I don't know what it is. And for some people they need, like I need you to engage me yeah. to bring me out of it. Me, I'm more of the person that says um, I need you to understand where I'm at. And she recognizes that and then give me that space yeah. so that I can kind of work through it. But I know if in a day or two, I can't work myself through it, that I need to then re-engage and say, "All right, something big's going on. Maybe I don't know what it is, Maybe I don't know the words for it, but I need external help." And so for me, that's what works. and, and for so many people, it's different things. Some people need art therapy, right? right? They need to just get it you know, get it on a brush, and some people write poetry. Some people, um, uh, a big one I always recommend for people, volunteerism. Mm-hmm. Go out there work at a soup kitchen work at a Habitat for Humanity build a house whatever it is that works for you if you're you know, a hands guy or not a hands guy like these try these different things and these different tools and, and you'd be surprised at what kind of helps you through it um, but I, I highly recommend therapy if medication is required then then that's not a bad yeah. thing yeah. Uh, it's not a it's not a weakness it's just recognizing that you need, you know, if you had a migraine that lasted two years, you're gonna take something for it. you know what I mean, so it, there's nothing wrong with taking you know prescribed medication um but the best thing you can do is is seek help best yeah. thing you can do. There's so many amazing amazing programs out there that cost nothing that cost nothing other than your willingness to step through the door and ask for help yeah there's no excuse we We live in the golden age of of you know veterans being taken care of. You just have to advocate for yourself. You have to be your biggest advocate and, and, and be willing to kind of go through the process.
0: Yeah. We call this podcast unbeatable because the idea here is everybody's going to get hit. Everybody's going to get hurt. All of us are going to get knocked down, but there is something that's different for the guys and gals that are unbeatable. They figure out a way to get back up. And part of your story, CQ, is you're a guy that gets knocked down with five bullets in one firefight. And for a lot of guys, that would have been the, th- the, the punch that knocked you down and kept you down. The part of your story that I think is so amazing is that not only do you fight your way back physically, but you fight your way back through PTSD. You fight your way back through some suicidal thoughts. And one of the reasons this episode in particular is so important to me is because there are veterans that have been alone and isolated and dealing with some dark thoughts for a long time. And those go from dark thoughts to dangerous thoughts and decide, I just don't want to live like this anymore. So I really want them to hear what you're saying right now, because you've been there.
1: Yeah. You know I, what it feels like. And I, I, by no I suicide is the, is It's the, the permanent solution to a temporary problem. Right. And, and, I But I I do empathize. Like, I understand the thought that I'm in so much pain. That I just want it to go away. I don't see a way out of it, and I want it to stop. And I understand that, but you, you need to understand that just because you can't see the path forward doesn't mean it's not there. And if you just open up, if you just reach out for help, it is there, and it will become available to you.
0: Yeah. So what I was going to do is just ask you, we're going to wrap this thing up, but I want you to talk specifically to those warriors that are struggling emotionally and mentally and not physically struggling with what they went through in combat. Would you just get real with them for a minute about those, especially those who feel like I, I have to be strong and act like I've got it all figured out, but they don't. And they really need help. They're just struggling to say, I need help. Absolutely. Absolutely.
1: You know, the, the first thing I always tell people is that we all need help, <laughs> different varying degrees of help. We all need it. Nobody's got it all together. Um, but you know, especially with military guys and gals, you know, this mentality of like, you got to suck it up. You got to drive on like, you know, weakness and all this, it is, it is essential to do the job that we do, but when that job is done, you it it's the hardest thing to let go of. It's yeah. the hardest thing to deprogram yourself that way. There is no, there is nothing, but in my opinion, there's nothing but strength in being honest and vulnerable and saying, I need help. That is the strongest yeah, thing you can
0: absolutely. do. Absolutely.
1: You know, weakness is the thought of like, I can do this all myself. That's not strength. It's, it's cowardice and it's, and it's fear and it's okay to be kind of enveloped in that but to understand that the truth, the true strength comes from being able to open up, being a light for others and, and mm-hmm. being an advocate of yourself. That's where the strength lies and overcoming these things. You know, we, we, we put our athletes on pedestals and our, and and, and all these and celebrities and they came from nothing and they drive and, but then we don't, we don't give ourselves that same opportunity. Yeah, right. we, don't, we don't treat ourselves the same way that if I just, if I push a little harder, if I If I, if I put myself out there, I can get the help I need to get me to that next place.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So if you're struggling out there and you're really wrestling with just admitting it, take the most important step, the most courageous step, just find somebody and say, Hey man, I need some help.
1: Yeah. Take that, that person that you trust the most in your life. You know, the worst thing we feel is we're going to be judged and, and, and treated differently. But the, but the fact is there's so many people in your life willing to help you that just don't. No, don't know. You're doing such a great job hiding it that sometimes they don't know yeah. that you need help. And, and even if you, in your head, you go like, oh, it's so obvious that I need help. I just wish somebody would reach out. Be your own advocate. Yeah. Reach out, make that connection. There are people willing out there to help you. Absolutely.
0: CQ, there's so much more about your story, about your your comedy, uh, your career in comedy, about your show, all of that, that I, I'd love to be able to talk to. Maybe we do a, a, a follow-up to this. Um, but for people that have heard this right now, and especially for guys that are saying, okay, I need to know more. How do they get connected with you?
1: Absolutely. So right now, uh, I, I do a weekly pop culture show called Pop Culture Warrior. Uh, you can look it up on any social media. It's out there. Pop Culture Warrior. Uh, it's, it's a live show, Tuesday nights, 8 to 10 p.m. We talk about all the fun, geeky stuff. There's <laughs> oh, yeah. enough bad dramatic stuff in the world so i like to talk about fun stuff and marvel movies and tv shows and video games and lots of fun stuff uh we do giveaway. in fact we're doing like a huge giveaway later on tonight um but and then i and i typically have a guest somebody from the entertainment industry whether it's an actor producer director stuntman you know all type voice nice. actors yeah. i mean just the best so uh it's a really fun show and it's super engaging the audience gets to participate live call-ins chats um it's just a really fun thing to do and I, I love it with all my heart and i love my audience and uh, i'd love to see some of your audience yeah. come out and check yeah it
0: out. so check out we'll put a, a link to it in the notes to this check out pop culture warrior get connected with with uh, cq um you know follow them on social media hey man again like i started this episode thank you for serving the country but also i want to say now at the end thanks for being real with guys and gals that may be just hesitant to lean over to somebody that they trust and say, hey, I need some help. And maybe today, this was the episode that would cause them to make that statement.
1: Absolutely, man, I appreciate the platform. I love what you're doing and uh, I'm a big fan. Thanks, buddy. We'll see you around. Hey, I just wanna drive home one
0: more time what you heard from CQ. It takes real courage to lean over to a friend or somebody that you trust and say, I'm struggling and I need some help. And that step may be the first and most important step of getting things back under control again. If you just tuned into this podcast for the first time, I want to invite you to follow us on social media. We're pretty much everywhere. Just search for at unbeatable podcast. And by the way, I'd love to recruit you to become part of the unbeatable army. We've got an email list that will go straight to your inbox and help you figure out how you can handle life's greatest challenges. Just sign up at unbeatablearmy.com. Thanks for being with us today. See you right back here next week. God bless.